Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Help Desk. My name is Peter Wells. And I'm Tess Bennett. And Tess, I saw that the bad show... Uh, also known as Q&A, did a story all about social media last night with a whole bunch of very important tech journalists, not myself or you, but (laughs) did you watch it? Look, I'm a big believer that you've got to make decisions and own them. And a while ago, I just decided Monday nights I was going to stop watching before Q&A and I I did stick to that decision last night, so I didn't catch the show. I don't think I've ever watched a full episode and I've had Q&A permanently muted on Twitter since the show began. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. But let's move to the tech stories. So here's a novel solution for our dependence on Facebook's apps. The Guardian has picked up a new proposal that the ABC ought to run its own social media platform. So it should be noted that this report is from an independent think tank, not the ABC itself. A publicly funded social network run by the ABC has been floated as a possible response if Facebook and Google limit services in Australia when the mandatory news code uh, becomes law this year. So in particular, Facebook's warned that it's going to block Australians from sharing news uh, if the plan goes through. So the proposal for a platform hosted by the ABC is among a raft of risk mitigation proposals in a report commissioned by the Centre for Responsible Technology. So, Peter, Mm. what do you think? Would you use a ABC-run Facebook alternative? I think I would. I think I would. I'd never heard of the Centre for Responsible Technology until last week, and then I found that I had many of their emails in my inbox. Uh, They seem nice. I Look, I I think it's a a great idea. Uh, The ABC already has a lot of the skill behind it to to be able to do this that they've got a bit of a social network back end i just don't think anyone will switch i can't see it happening no i honestly can't imagine why anyone at the abc would want to go near the giant mess and all the headaches that seem to arise when you run a social media platform um facebook cops it uh from the republicans in the u.s for its anti-conservative bias so i can't see anyone at abc management wanting to wish more of that on themselves No, I think you're right there. Sticking with uh, social media, Ben Thompson, who writes a daily newsletter, Stratechery, has written a 4,000-word blog post on Twitter and Facebook's response to uh, taking down the New York Post story last week. Now, we didn't really cover this, but the New York Post wrote a story about Hunter Biden that was so flimsy in its evidence that even Fox News decided it was uh, not worth printing or, or reporting on. Facebook and Twitter decided to limit the reach of of the story on their platforms. And Ben argues that that actually was the worst thing they could do because by doing that, that became the story. And, you know, the the classic Streisand effect where uh, the story becomes what you're you're not allowed to see 
Tess, it's it's a really tricky one because I, I feel that uh, first of all, I don't don't expect you to read the four thousand word post. It is a good one, but it, it's far too long. I think when it comes to this, social media is kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. If they didn't limit the reach, then who knows where this story would go? But I I totally take Ben's point that by doing so they've created another new story about it. Yeah, it is a tricky topic. And I it sort of struck me as old media meeting new distribution, really a reminder that Facebook and Twitter control the rails or control the, the space between publication and the reader uh, in mm. a lot of cases. So an interesting interpretation of policy there uh, to decide to limit the reach of that story. Um, and, and typically media companies have argued that they follow a different set of rules, so they should be treated differently to user-generated content. So Ben said that because Twitter and Facebook did this, it's now suddenly a story that appeared in the New York Times, for instance, whereas it wouldn't have otherwise. I don't know. It's a really interesting one. Uh, if you do have a spare four hours, you could go over and read the, the story. Ben also has a podcast called Dithering. It's a 15-minute show, uh, which might be a little bit easier to handle, that he hosts with uh, John Gruber. So I'll pop that in the show notes as well. And now to online shopping. This year has broken all records uh, for e-commerce in Australia. Uh, Peter, can you guess which was the busiest month this year for online shopping? I think June. I think that March was the one where everyone freaked out, uh, but we were still able to go buy toilet paper at the shops. Uh, so maybe June, that's that's based on Victoria. What, what was the actual date? It was actually August, which I would not have guessed. August was the biggest month in Australia's online shopping history. And that's about that's up 85% nationally. And for Victoria, those figures were up 170% year over year. And for a bit mm -hmm. more context, that's about 10% higher than the 2019 Christmas peak, which is now around those Black Friday, sub Cyber Monday sales in late November, I think. So not, not long away. For Australia Post, they've had a, a, a busy time. So they shared that they have delivered over 2 million parcels on 53 days between April and August. And in that same period last year, they didn't have a single day uh, where they had 2 million parcels to deliver. That's crazy. And when you consider that uh, a lot of Australia Post delivery used to happen in the cargo bays of passenger airlines, which of course aren't flying at the moment either. It really shows why I've been waiting three weeks now for a monitor to arrive. Exactly. And actually I got out of the house this morning and was physically at an e-commerce conference uh, where they shared these figures. And one of the messages out of that was to the audience was retailers. So the message was to start your online sale and Black Friday sales early. That was this idea of they actually used the term Flatten the curve for your for oh your <laughs> for your sale. The idea being the demand's going to be there. Just try and stretch it out over a few days or weeks uh, and get those Christmas presents purchased early. Yeah, and and was there any talk there about the kind of winners and losers? Because I would imagine that your giant brands are the ones that are doing very well out of this. That even some something like Kmart, which doesn't have a fantastic online experience. It's still better than the tiny little shop down the road. So I would imagine it's it's the bigger brands like your Bunnings and all of those kind of things that are doing really well out of this. I guess they talk mostly in categories to start with. So the winners being grocery and liquor, beauty and wellness, <laughs> uh, home and garden, uh, those, those sort of categories as the winners and, you know, something like travel 
as a big loser. I would say not so much size or scale being important. Bunnings, for example, they had to play catch up really quickly in New Zealand. They didn't even have an e-commerce or like a transactional e-commerce site when they went into their really uh, strict lockdown. So they had to launch that in something like four weeks. So I think for the big guys who weren't prepared, it's shown them what they can get done really quickly. The companies that have had the infrastructure and partnerships in place have have been able to scale and really capitalize on that growth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, for me, I avoided signing up to Amazon Prime for as long as I could. And now every day, a little brown box arrives on my doorstep. So what about you? Are are you online shopping way more? Uh, I was when we were in the sort of more strict lockdown in Sydney. Now it's sort of probably just dropped back to to normal shopping levels. Um, I was already a pretty prolific online shopper before the pandemic. So I'm not one of these newly converted uh, online shoppers. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, God, I, I just cannot wait for the day that I can wander down to a Kmart and just aimlessly walk the aisles. I, n- I never thought I would miss it so much. But moving on, uh, the Internet of Things is possibly responsible for killing the NBN, according to John Davidson at the Australian Financial Review. He shared a Telsite report about the surge in uh, Internet of Things purchases. It goes along with your story, actually, that Australians have been spending far more time at home and are, are almost digitally nesting. They're buying things like smart doorbells and web cameras and and internet lights and, and smart speakers to fill their house to... to I guess, uh, make the house a little bit more comfortable while everyone is working and and uh, teaching from home. My house was already chock-a-block full of Internet of Things, so I didn't really notice an uptick myself. But what about you? Have you gone out and purchased any internet-connected devices? No, but maybe it's different if you're a homeowner and not a renter. Um, uh, I haven't, no, don't own any smart home devices. I do have a TV though, a very, very cheap TV that turns itself on and off sometimes. So if anyone can explain like why that might be happening. I can after the show. (laughs) Oh, great. We've got to the uh, Tess gets um, tech support part of the podcast. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah. And well, speaking of tech support, uh, Telsite in this article is quoted as saying that the NBN is probably not going to be good enough for all of these new devices. And and I would push back on that a bit. Like I'm not the NBN's biggest fan. I think it was a terrible rollout. But for the average user out there, 25 down and 5 up is probably okay for, the, for your Internet of Things devices. The issue is probably more your router. So I found that if you've got a crappy router then it just can't handle all of those little connected devices on the same network at the same time. Think think of like your smart globes in your house as kind of like a dripping tap. If you if you've got twenty different dripping taps uh, throughout the house, of course, then your your water bill is going to be huge. Uh, in in the same way, or your water usage will be huge. In the same way, your internet is just constantly dripping if you've got uh, a bunch of uh, smart connected devices. But overall. Your, your internet speeds will probably be able to handle it. It really You, you really just need a decent traffic cop in terms of your router uh, to make sure that that happens. Is, that, is this a point where I bother to actually uh, give a recommendation? How about those one, the free ones that you get from your internet provider? Should you stick with that or how do you determine if oh, that's the right router for you? Oh, God, no. No, no that, that would be the very first thing. If you've – whatever – a uh, device you were given from your internet provider is probably the cheapest, worst 
router that you can find. Once you get above 10 or 12 devices in a house, you really want something like a mesh network. So Google's mesh network is probably the easiest to set up. I personally prefer the the Netgear's Orbi, I think, uh, is a really lovely mix of both simple to set up for your average punter, but also the the extra bells and whistles if you want to get nerdy. The Help Desk is a work in progress. We're going to figure out what works best as we go along, and we'd love to hear from you. I'm Tess Bennett. And I'm Peter Wells. Thanks to Lauren Watson for designing the beautiful artwork, and thank you to everyone out in podcast listener land for listening to the podcast. If you would tell a friend or throw us a couple of stars on iTunes, we would really appreciate it. Speak to you tomorrow, Tess. Thanks. Bye. Bye. 